Welcome back to the Ramble Room. That little ditty, by the way, I don't know if I've ever pointed that out. My son wrote that, and that's him playing the keyboards in there. Um, some other folks that he used to play with in the great state of Colorado. But anyway, enough of that. We are sitting here today with none other than Mark Jones of Gun Owners of America. Welcome back, Mark. It's good to have you on again. Hey, Ken. It's always good to be with you here in beautiful town of Sheridan. Ah, uh, but of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, I have to admit that I've been spread about eight different ways. I haven't done as many shows as I would like to do, and some of the people that are listening now are relatively new, so they might not know who you are, Mark. So I'd ask you to take a minute and introduce yourself. I noticed by the tone of your voice that you ain't from around here. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a national director with Gun Owners of America, and I live in Johnson County, Wyoming, right down the road from you. Um, I deal with national hunting issues all across the country, and I deal with the Wyoming legislative issues for GOA. Yeah, yes, and as you said, you, from my accent, I was born and raised in the South, uh, worked a whole career there as a wildlife biologist before going to work for Gun Owners of America and uh, chose to be in Wyoming. Let, let me jump in on that very fact. Right. That is a very very important fact. Now, I happen to have been blessed the fact that I'm like a fifth-generation native and been around these parts. The family's been around these parts since 1878. Okay, so what? I left uh, due to Uncle Sam, mm. traveled the world, saw many amazing places, and then when I finally had an opportunity to come back, I came back to Wyoming, came back home, which is where I wanted to be. So in that regard, I chose to be here, but I was predisposed to like it here. You, on the other hand, simply chose to be here, and that means a lot to me. And so I don't ever want anybody, at least within my hearing, to disparage someone who has deliberately chosen to come live in this great state and say, well, you're not from around here, so you don't understand how we do things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. And, you know, I first came to Wyoming when I was 18 and started, I came back every year just about for the next 30-plus years to hunt and fish and actually worked in Wyoming some in my 20s down in encampment in Carbon County. So you paid your dues. <laughs> paid my dues. I lived here for a while. I should have stayed when I was in my early 20s, but I didn't because of life and career and other things. And But, you know, I always knew if I was able to retire, I'd come here permanently and did. And my wife, my kids were all here. And been here going on three years now. And, you know, it's the last best place. If we can't save Wyoming, um, then we don't have a chance as a country. And I really believe that. The Travel Commission used to have this thing that says Wyoming is what America was. You know, and there's a there's some truth to that. Absolutely. And and there's a lot of truth to that. Sadly, Wyoming is facing some challenges that are some of them are kind of under the radar. Uh, but there is a lot of truth to that slogan, and we've got to we've got to fight to keep Wyoming what I, America was. I think one of the problems, and I hate to put it this way is the ignorance of people that have never been anywhere else. 
They don't know how good we have it. I I spent some time in Germany, for example, and you know Germany is they they build some amazing cars down there. But if you want to put a custom license plate frame on your car, you have to apply to the government. <laughs> you know, it's it's insane. Uh-huh. If you want to build a house, you will submit your ideas and whatnot. They'll come back and they'll tell you what they're going to permit and how many families will be allowed to live in that house. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's 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 insane, and that's what they're trying to do here, ultimately. But now we've gone way down the the rabbit hole. <laughs> Sometimes it's not bad to chase a rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's. When did you shoot your first rabbit? Oh, I was probably twelve years old. Were you? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. How about you? I think I was nine. Yeah, and somewhere out of Casper. Um, <laughs> It's kind of embarrassing. Shot him once, had an old Stephen Savage single shot. And I shot the rabbit once, and it was a horrible shot. Um, I was pretty excited. He was a trophy, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he ran underneath this pallet, and I had to lay down on the ground and stick the gun barrel underneath the pallet to finish him off. (laughs) Oh, well, hey, that's, you know, I, I grew up in the southern Appalachian Mountains, and my first game animal was a squirrel, a gray squirrel. And they're a little bigger than the ones here, right? Yeah, a lot bigger than the, the most of the squirrels you see here. But then when I finally shot a rabbit, I had an old collie dog, and we grew up in cattle country. You know, this dog used to chasing cows, but I'd take that old collie out, and it would chase everything. And one day it ran around. I had been trying to kill a rabbit for a long time. Hadn't been able to hit one running, and that dog scared a rabbit up, and it ran. And I shot it running. It was probably blind luck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the big, I thought I was Fred Bear or something, you know, yeah. uh, Jack yeah. O'Connor or one of these guys in these magazines. I'd shot this rabbit running. Yeah. That's a trick. Oh, yeah. I, I bring this up for a reason, and we'll get that in just a second, but you reminded me. I also, for a while, when I was in my early teens, decided I was going to be the great archery hunter. Mm-hmm. And I remember shooting a rabbit with an arrow, mm-hmm. and it went through its hind leg. Mm. And the thing tried to run away, ran between a couple of trees and got hung up and was absolutely panicking, bleeding in horrible pain, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I brought this up because there's something that this culture has lost. And I think it has to do with video games. I think it has to do with a lot of movies. We don't understand or appreciate the power or the lethality of a firearm mm-hmm. and a lot of the newer generations especially that haven't grown up hunting fishing and doing that there there is something that happens to you at the age of 9 10 12 whatever it is when you shoot the first thing and you watch it die mm-hmm. and then you've got to go butcher it mm-hmm. and it creates within you a different kind of respect for what you're doing mm-hmm. Well, you're right. We talked about this a month or two ago when we talked about school shootings, about how these video games oh, exactly. desensitize yeah. young people. And, you know, not every kid can can be a hunter, but I don't. it wouldn't be a bad idea to make kids go to the slaughterhouse and see where their food comes from. Just because we're so detached from reality in this country now. You know, people think that food comes from the grocery store. 
and they play the, these kids play these violent video games and where they shoot and there's blood and gore and they don't understand the reality of life and death. So I definitely think that that's part of the problem that we've got in society. Also, the the ability to understand a little bit from experience. I mean, we shot watermelons, different anything we could think of, you know, mm-hmm. from a from a coke can to full mm-hmm. <laughs> to a water jug to whatever, and shoot it with different calibers and try to get an idea for that um, experimentation. We called it. It was a lot of fun, uh, but that's one of those things that that we're lacking, and so we have in today's society just a rampant ignorance i heard from the president the president <laughs> of the united well, it must be true Ken. yeah <laughs> yeah he said if you put a pistol brace on a firearm it allows you to shoot a larger caliber bullet oh absolutely insane and if you you know back when i was in high school most of the kids i went to school with were actually most of them were reloaders, you know, they, hunters, fishermen, whatever, ranchers. Uh, they all had rifles in the in the pickup, so that on, on the way home, if you saw a coyote, you could get rid of it, and mm-hmm. et, et cetera, et cetera. And we just have this flagrant ignorance now. And it seems to me that the knee-jerk reaction is to run away from the technology rather than... They used to have shooting sports in high school Mm -hmm. rather than teach kids how to use and how to respect a weapon we run away the other way where you can't even say the word gun and god forbid you should point your finger at somebody and go pow oh yeah you're gonna go to jail and we promulgate ignorance absolutely and you know (laughs) the president's speechwriters certainly don't spend a lot of time worrying about the facts. Uh, he also said a few days ago that um, firearms were the number one cause of death of children in America. And uh, Twitter, which is no conservative bastion of conservative speech, <laughs> not by any fact-checked him on it and pointed out that that was a false claim. Uh, firearms are not the number one cause of death uh, of children. Uh, it's actually automobiles. And by a wide margin, I believe some people, many of your listeners have also, uh, will, will, or will appreciate this. A lot of people also pointed out that abortion kills far more people than automobiles or firearms. So, yeah. uh, it, you know, it's very, it's dis, it's disappointing and dangerous when our government officials intentionally mislead and they don't worry about facts and that's how you end up with bans on devices like pistol braces or bump stocks or yeah. whatever that they're trying to ban for this particular day. Which, which immediately makes you think, what's next? What's next? Yeah. Um, they're talking about banning lead ammunition, et cetera, et cetera, all these excuses oh, yeah. for whatever they want to do. Um, the Second Amendment is quite a thorn in their side. It is. But you, sir, are very active day-to-day in defending the Second Amendment, and I would like to you, for you to describe for us a little bit about what some of the current issues are, uh, at least federally, okay. and mm-hmm. what battles the, the GOA is fighting, 
and not just the GOA. I mean, I, I won't single them out. The, the NRA has been involved in a number of these battles, as well as a, all kinds of other issues. But what are the primary issues attacking the Second Amendment as we speak? Well, the one that's making all the news right now is the Biden pistol brace ban. And, you know, a lot of your listeners are probably like, well, you know, I don't have a pistol brace. I don't even know what one is. And the reason you should care is because Biden has, through executive action, tried to ban a device that ATF said 11 years ago it was legal and didn't need to be regulated. And then one day the Biden administration wakes up and decides to ban it to force it to be either registered or turned in. Mm-hmm. With, and that's a, it's a completely unconstitutional regulation. It's something he could not do through Congress. And the reason, so the reason you should care, even if you don't know what one is, is that if he can ban pistol braces today, what is it going to be in six months? That, that's very true. And thank God for people like Harriet Hageman, who's up there working right now on bills to limit agencies' ability to create law. That is the purview of the legislature. Yes. Period. Absolutely. And she, Harriet, is doing a great job. She is. And in this country, we've gotten so far away from our principles we were founded upon with three co-equal branches of government. You, you know, they don't teach history and government in most schools anymore. And, and, but, you know, for the listeners out there, especially the older ones, you understand we have an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch, and they each have separate roles. And the lines have been blurred, particularly the executive has taken so much authority that they it's not constitutionally sound. It's not justified. The judicial branch, in many cases, has begun to legislate from the bench, which is not yeah. their role. And then also to ignore legislation brought by the... Duly elected representatives of <laughs> yeah. whatever people... Yeah, I know exactly where you're going, you know, the people Wyoming pass... Yeah. Everybody's they're... trying to do each other's job and not doing their own job. Well, it's and it's really, in most cases, it's the executive and the judiciary just stomping on the power of the legislative branch. It's and, happening in the yeah. states, and it's happening in Washington, D.C. And the legislative branch just laying down and saying, oh, well, yeah. now we well, don't uh, have to do it. They just lay down and take it, and I think a lot of the leaders of both parties kind of like it. Mm-hmm. It takes the pressure off of them. All they do, they're just glorified budget passers, and they never really have a budget in Washington, D.C. They, they just spend like crazy. Yeah. But it's really pathetic, and it, it's, a da- it's a danger to our republic, you know, we're not a democracy. I hate it when people say that. You know, if you don't understand that, go go read about democracies. There's only been a few in the history of the world. But we're a republic, and, and this, you know, this issue threatens to undermine the very existence of our republic. Certainly it does. So let's, let's just go back and touch on a couple of these things. A, a pistol brace, all these things depend on definitions. Right. And... Definitions apparently recently are subject to the the whim of the latest executive. Let me give you a, a little example of a binge drinker. If if you go back to the Andy Griffith show, mm-hmm. I used to watch that. Yeah, and you remember the guy that he would go let himself into the uh, jail, to Otis. go sleeping on Otis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Otis. <laughs> Otis. 
Otis was a binge drinker, and he'd go on a binge now and then. Um, and and so the governments determined, at, at whatever level, agencies determined, that there's money in this. And so if we're going to fight binge drinking, then, we, and we all know what it is, theoretically, um, now we realize there's not a lot we can do about that because there's some human nature and we can kind of curb that a little bit. But we've got this agency built and we have to perpetuate it. And so we've discovered that if we redefine what it is to be a binge drinker, so that now in any 24-hour period, if you drink three or more beers, you're a binge drinker. Now, I don't necessarily know exactly what the what the specifics are on this, but that's that's an example of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And they do the same thing with, any agency does the same thing with anything it is. If, if they somehow manage to alleviate a little bit of the first issue, now they've got to justify their existence, they've got to have the next battle. Mm -hmm. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to redefine whatever the problem is. Mass shooting mm -hmm. oh, yeah. would be another definition. Mm-hmm. And so now they're down to the point where they, they're claiming there's a mass shooting every day. Which most, yeah, they do because of the way they defined it. Exactly. Even though a lot of those, most of those mass shootings are gang on gang crime and things like that, they have defined those as mass shootings to send a message to the American people that we have some kind of problem. Well, uh, well it is a problem when anybody's shot, but that we have some kind of epidemic you know, of, yeah. of, of madmen shooting up innocent people. And can, in, in reality, a lot of that is, is actual battles between gangs and things like that. Yeah. Well, one more point about this uh, pistol brace ban. It's interesting to, you know, we worked in the courts on the fifth district down in Texas. There was an, that we get, we were able to get an injunction issued against that ban. Unfortunately, the judge issued a very unusual ruling. He only applied relief to, Employees of the state of Texas and to members of Gun Owners of America. It was employees of yeah, the state it was of employees. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, th I thought I had read that it was just Texans. In, originally, that's what we thought, but I think uh -huh. it was employees of the state of Texas. And the only thing I can reason as to why he did that is that Gun Owners of America sued with in conjunction with the Texas Attorney General, we sued the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. He took a very strict interpretation of standing, and he only gave relief to essentially employees of the state of Texas that work with Ken Paxton's organization, you know, who he represents, and and members of our organization. We we were not happy with we were happy that there was some relief, but not happy with the way that was done. It should have been relief for all Americans. So that left the door open for Biden to continue against other law-abiding people that didn't fall in those categories. And that's why we worked so hard to pass House Joint Resolution 44, which is uh, Andrew Clyde. He's a representative from Georgia. His bill, which would nullify this ban, it, and it passed last week. We were able to generate many thousands of comments. In a, we, we sent one letter, a number of different letters that were signed by different groups, one signed by veterans, over 6,000 veterans, one signed by over 16,000 hunters that, that told Congress to nullify the Biden ban. And, and it did hunters, pass the House. What do hunters care about a pistol brace? That's a good question. And, and the, 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 there were two things that we used to appeal to hunters. Number one, 
<clears throat> a pistol brace can be very advantageous for elderly hunters or disabled hunters who are not, unable to use a standard rifle. They now make high caliber pistols, bolt action. You can put a pistol brace on it and use it in many cases when you're not physically able to use a rifle. So in a sense, essentially it was a disabled hunting argument. That was one thing, but the more compelling argument to me is that, and I think the hunter hunters really get this <clears throat> because most hunters don't use a pistol brace. If Biden can ban a pistol brace unilaterally with no oversight from Congress, what can he do next? And I think that's why 16,000 hunters signed that letter because they, un most of them don't own a pistol brace. They understand the danger of this type of executive overreach. It is really interesting when you start talking about the, the pistol brace in particular. Uh, for one thing, they want to claim that somehow this makes the weapon more dangerous. Anything that makes the weapon more controllable reduces the danger mm -hmm. in my book. Mm -hmm. And so there's a difference there. There's there's also these different claims of lethality and just as, as we have started out the conversation with just a complete lack of understanding of how ballistics works and weights of bullets and muscle velocity and all of those different factors and in the mass of confusion these agencies in this case the BATFE just come out and start doing what could not have been done through legislation I have to hand it to the GOA Thankfully, there was a boating accident, so it doesn't really matter now. But in, all your guns are at the bottom of the lake. Well, to <laughs> the, the one with the with the pistol brace, and I have a letter from the ATFE, as we alluded to earlier. We keep talking in circles, but I have a letter from the ATFE that said this is not a weapon. This does not make this a short-barreled rifle. This is a pistol. And they changed the definitions. And now, were it not for the fact that I, number one, had the voting accident, but number two, were a card-carrying member of the GOA, I'd be a felon. Exactly. That's what's scary. Your, your letter came a number of years ago during that period I described earlier of about 10 years where ATF said these are fine devices. There's mm -hmm. They don't need to be regulated under the National Firearms Act, which for those listeners that don't know, you know, the National Firearms Act is a it's an unconstitutional law, but it's the one that, that the federal government uses to justify regulating suppressors and machine guns. And they told folks like you for years, these things are fine. Don't worry about yeah. it. And so people went out in good faith and purchased them. Millions. Millions. 40 million by some estimates. Yeah. And so then overnight, a few months ago, Biden decides to ban these things. And so, he said, he said, turn them in and register them. How many people do you know? How many people have turned them in or registered I them? I think compliance has been very low. I, <laughs> I don't know that they've actually released numbers. They're probably ashamed to. They told people, you either turn them in, you destroy them, or you register them with us and pay the tax stamp. And for those that don't know, the tax stamp is, is in the National Firearms Act. It's a $200 fee for having these devices that the government's decided they can regulate. And it's kind of interesting. That was, it was $200 when it was passed in the 1930s. It's still $200. That was a lot of money in the 1930s to have a Tom, you know, a, a Thompson submachine gun. It was yeah. more than the gun cost back then. Nowadays, $200 is 
in the grand scheme of things, not that much compared to an expensive device. But, but it is a pain in the tail. Well, and it's more, it's an infringement. Yeah. And it, and it allows them to gather information about you and put you on a list. And they're yep. keeping, it's well documented that they're keeping an illegal registry of gun hunters. I just read last week, not only are they keeping that, but they're going out and they're confiscating FFL owners' lists at well, this point. Did you see the news about the raid in Montana? Yes. By the IRS over yes. the weekend? Yes. That's another, we're, we're kind of chasing a different rabbit now, but the IRS confiscated the records from a gun store. I believe it was Great Falls. Yeah. And completely unconstitutional, no justification for doing it. There was no illegal activity. No, but the IR, this is the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, not the ATF. Which, by the way, has been buying up thousands and thousands of nine millimeter rounds. Uh, Well, that's, that's to arm all those 50,000 or 60,000 agents. 87,000, whatever the number is. Yeah. I think Congress got in the bipartisan budget. uh, Yeah, they did reduce it. They reduced the number. The original was like 80 or 90,000. And if you're still 50 or 60,000 new IRS agents armed, to come visit you and make sure you're paying taxes on your third job, Ken. But, uh, yeah, they went in and raided a store in Montana and and completely unconstitutional, took the records. I know that the Montana Attorney General, uh, Austin Knudsen, I think I'm saying his name right, I've met Austin. He's a really good guy and a really good Attorney General, hardcore constitutionalist. He is furious. Good. I don't know what will happen. I'm not a lawyer. I know our organization is looking at options. I'm sure the Attorney General of Montana is looking at options. But what happened over the weekend should be a warning shot to all Americans that care about your rights. You know, the IRS went and confiscated records that they have no right to, to hold under United States law. Let's, let's talk guns for a little bit because I want to do a little bit of just practical information. Sure. Um, typically, we have rifles, you know, perhaps the... The most popular is 308, 30-06, that sort of, a, a 30 caliber bullet. Mm-hmm. And they go through an 18, 22-inch barrel. The The ballistics are debatable. The, the shorter that barrel is, the less predictable the round strike is. Mm-hmm. As At a, a distance. As, yeah, yeah, as a, a general rule. Mm-hmm. Pistols. Um, have some other advantages. For one, they're easier to carry. They're easy to maneuver. Um, easier to gauge an enemy, that sort of thing. Uh, pistols tend to be of a larger caliber. Um, some of the most popular ones, they, you know, they start at a thirty-eight caliber and go up from there. And this is just general, mm-hmm. general principles. And then we have this unique bird called a carbine. Mm-hmm. And a carbine is basically a rifle type thing that shoots a pistol bullet mm-hmm. and so it takes the the larger caliber bullet round and it makes it more controllable um, it makes it more accurate in a lot of ways and so there are a lot of a lot of collectors especially that like to get a rifle and then a carbine or a pistol all in the same in in the same unit caliber yeah. the same caliber mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I had I had a Biden moment. There. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But but when you start looking at lethality, it's not how the weapon looks. It's no. not its color. 
It's not how it is supported necessarily no. not that how makes you hold it more it. lethal. No. It has to do with the caliber and the amount of powder mm-hmm. behind behind that, and then also the length of the barrel. And the type of bullet and the, yeah. the, the efficiency of the shooter. Yeah. So, <laughs> so a couple of things that increase the safety, in my mind, would be a pistol brace because it allows you to better control that particular round. And we, you mentioned earlier a, a silencer or yeah. suppressors. Yeah, better better call the suppressor because they're not silent. <laughs> no, the government <laughs> not like the movie actually has the word silencer in the law, and yeah. they're not silencers; they're suppressors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if it was any other thing, it, the engine on your car, the engine on your motorcycle. If you go out without a suppressor on that engine, mm-hmm. you are violating the law. Mm-hmm. Anything that makes noise like that, it is safer. It is more friendly to be around if this loud noise is taken care of, mm-hmm. except the gun. Except the gun. You know, it's interesting you brought up suppressors. In some European countries, uh, notably Scandinavia, I think, and some Eastern European countries, you can walk in and buy a suppressor off the shelf, put it on your hunting rifle, um, because they there's a couple reasons. They're, they're, they save your hearing, and you and I both have probably shot too many firearms without hearing protection. Huh? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what my wife says. Can't you hear me? We both probably could have benefited from suppressors, and, and that's a big deal. You know, it is. Having your hearing into your later years is important, and they reduce recoil. So in a lot of European countries, a suppressor can be purchased off the shelf. It's not viewed as some demonic item yeah. like it is here in the United States where, oh, you can't have a suppressor, and if you do, you have to register it with the ATF and blah, 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 you know, all this red tape. And it's because of the movies. It's because of the movies, and it's, it's another excuse to gather information on people for yeah. the illegal registry. Exactly. Exactly. What other battles are we fighting, Mark? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I think that... Um, the, the, the pistol brace ban, the, the law to stop it went to the Senate, passing the House. So that battle will go on in the Senate. It's really interesting. I think your listeners may uh, appreciate this. As everybody knows, we have a divided Senate. Um, so we have to pick up on several Democrat votes, to be frank. And and there's, a, there's, there's f- at least four Democrats that come to mind that are in kind of conservative states, if you will. There's... There's Angus King in Mon- in Maine. There's Kristen Sinema in Arizona, who I think re- is an independent officially, but she caucuses with the Democrats. John Tester, right next door in Montana, um, and and Joe Manchin in West Virginia. And it All, is an election year. And it's an election year. All those states have a lot of shooters, a lot of hunters, and all those senators can sometimes be on the right side of gun issues because of the pressure from their constituency. So we've got to sway those folks to get this thing through the Senate. It's interesting too, when the David, many of your listeners will remember the David Chipman nomination. He was a terrible nominee by Biden to be ATF director, which we, we and other groups were able to kill that. But some of the keys to killing that were pressure put on Angus King, Senator King in Maine by sportsmen who said, no, don't put this guy in. Pressure by sportsmen in West Virginia that said, no, don't put this guy in. So we can win these battles sometimes, and we've got to, we've, 
but we've got to do it against the Democrat-controlled Senate right now. Um, that's a big battle that's ongoing. The other one's going to be this thing with the IRS. It's evolving. It's so brand new that I can't really tell you much more but than what we've already talked about. But I think that's your next big battle in Washington is what in the heck is the IRS doing? Yeah. And, and, and what does it mean if they can do this to a gun store in Montana yep. and, and steal this personal information, essentially? I mean, we all talk about identity theft now, right? They, it's a big deal. Essentially, they have stolen information they have no right to have. Mm-hmm. If the IRS can do that in Montana, what's next? Don't want to think about that. So what's next in Wyoming? What's happening here on the home front? You know, I really look forward to the next legislative session. Because, I don't. Uh, yeah, you, you, you <laughs> We're actually, doing the budget for crying out loud. It's a budget year, yeah. and as many of your listeners know, it takes two-thirds of a vote to get a bill introduced. And in the House of Origin, and after that, I guess we're straight-up majority votes. But I'm yeah. excited because I think we, we're get, we have a chance to take another run at gun-free zones. We have, we have gun-free zones in Wyoming that need to go away. Uh, one example is your capital, where you work every day. You can't carry a gun in there. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. You've got folks carrying guns in Helena, Montana, and Pierce, yeah. South Dakota, and Lincoln, Nebraska, for God's sakes. Lincoln's a terrible place. Yeah. They carry guns in the capital. But we can't carry them in Cheyenne. Well, several people in the Capitol have guns. Yeah, they're, they're, they're law enforcement. Exactly. They're just under the direction of the government. And exactly. Uh, but, you know, people think Wyoming is a, one of the most gun-friendly states, and, and we still have gun-free zones. We, we need to repeal those. Uh, we need to do something about school safety. We, you and I have had this discussion on mm-hmm. your show. We have. We have a pretty good law here that allows school districts to arm teachers and staff, and only four of the 48 school districts take advantage of it. I think that's pathetic uh, that we're not doing more to protect our children uh, against someone who might do them harm. And you look at a state like Utah that has uh, t- all teachers can carry there. And we're not, we're, 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 you know, we're not even letting 44 out of 48 school districts carry here to protect our kids. So they've carried in 20 for 20 years in Utah. There's not been an incident. So don't tell me, that, that, that we can't do this in Wyoming to protect children. They do it in Kansas. So it's time to address some of these things. Um, it's also time, I think, to, you know, we passed a SAPA a few years ago. It was before you were in, in the legislature, but I know you, you talked about it on your show. Yeah, you we, were, you we were supportive. You helped yeah. fight for it, and we appreciate that. But uh, the SAPA law that was passed in Wyoming was a good law. It, it it but like all law, it wasn't perfect, and we can add to it. We can we can enhance it, and I think we need to do some things to specifically address red flag laws, because and here's the because, the federal government is pushing so hard to push red flag money into the states. We've got to we've got to be proactive and head that off. And that is Wyoming's Achilles heel. Being proactive? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. Hey. <laughs> Well, there's a double-edged sword. Uh, no, specifically federal money. We exactly. are addicted to federal money. Absolutely. We can't do anything as an independent state because we're so afraid of the supremacy clause and the idea that we'll lose our federal funding. Yeah, and you know, that's so pathetic too, Ken, because as you and I talked at the beginning, Wyoming is what America was. Yep. And if we're going to stay 
you know, traditional American place of freedom and liberty, we've got to be willing to stand up to the federal government sometimes and just say no, yeah. no. Um, I think that our existing SEPA is good when, when the courts in Texas said Biden's rule was unconstitutional. I think that's, that validates our SEPA because our SEPA makes it illegal for state and local officials to enforce unconstitutional federal gun control. Mm -hmm. So I don't think anybody here is going to enforce that right now. But there's things we can do to enhance that law for the next attack from the federal government. And that's what we need to be thinking about to protect ourselves. We, if this country is going to survive, we have to stand on 10th Amendment principles where states have authority over things not explicitly granted to the federal government. So I had a conversation with another representative, and I won't mention Mark Kennings' name, <laughs> but we talked a lot about this, this very specific issue, and there is a good reason to actually oppose some of these enhancements to the Second Amendment. Now, you and I have worked together on a number of these bills, and I know that you know my heart, I know yours, and I know that we're trying to do what, what we think is the right thing. But there's an interesting point there that is brought up that the more we... Picture, if you will, a dam. Mm -hmm. And the dam starts to leak. The water gets really high. It's going around the side of the spillway, and it begins to erode the side of the dam. Mm -hmm. The right thing to do would be to fix the dam. Mm -hmm. But all too often what we do is build another dike below it in a hurry to try to hold the water, mm -hmm. and we let the dam continue to be eroded. And then as that secondary dike begins to be compromised and we start to lose water through there, we put up another one, and we put up another one, and we put up another one. So the picture that I'm drawing is we keep making all of these supplementary laws when the original dam, which is the Second Amendment, which says shall not be infringed, what we really ought to be doing at some level is insisting that we maintain and repair the dam. Yeah, you, you know, I've heard that argument, and... You know, philosophically, I agree with it. And some people, hardcore Second Amendment people, don't like Second Amendment Protection Acts for that reason. And, and, I, and so philosophically, I agree. But then there's reality. And the reality is, and, and, and you know, you can't escape reality. The reality is that executives— Unless in, you're the president. Unless you're the president <laughs> of the United States— executives in this country, at both the state level in some states and at the federal level— are, are trying to take our rights away despite the fact that everything you said is true about the Second Amendment. So you are forced, I think, to sometimes pass state law to fight against that. It's just the reality, because if you don't, they're going to trample on your rights and take rights away from people, put people in positions where they could be hurt by law enforcement, killed, lose their rights, lose their guns, be tied up with thousands upon thousands of dollars of legal bills. I think a state has to, because of the the position we find ourselves in in this country, where we have such an out of control executive branch. I mean, it's just a reality. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So just saying Second Amendment says what it means and means what it says, that's not enough anymore. You have got to pass state law to specifically stop 
some federal infringements. I really believe that. And I'll give you another example. Over half the counties in this country have passed what they call sanctuary, Second Amendment sanctuary laws. And it was, it was uh, modeled after the, the municipalities that were ignoring federal immigration law. Some folks said, hey, look, if, if they can ignore federal immigration law, we can uh, ignore federal gun law. Mm-hmm. So over half of the counties in the United States, there's four, a little over 4,000 counties, and over 2,000 have passed Second Amendment sanctuary, either resolutions or laws or, or, or ordinances. And that's a direct kickback, pushback against the federal government. And I think it sends a huge message. You know, yes, the Second Amendment means what it says and all that other good stuff. You're ignoring it. Well, we're going to ignore what you're trying to do. Yeah. On the other side of the fence, and we see the same thing with marijuana is still, according to the federal government, illegal. Yeah. Go to Colorado and you can uh, yeah. buy all you yeah. want. Apparently. I and don't do it, but apparently you can. This leads me to fight the argument that is always thrown up in the Wyoming legislature about it. if we do this, we'll lose our federal funding. If we cross the feds, God forbid, we're going to lose the money that we're so addicted to. And yet, where can you show me any place in the United States that has been defunded because they didn't enforce marijuana laws? No place has been defunded because they didn't enforce marijuana laws. No place has been defunded because they didn't enforce federal immigration law. Conservatives are always really quick to cower in the corner. The left, and I, I don't like what the left believes and stands for, but I admire their tenacity Yeah, because they fight hard. And, and what do we, what do conservatives do at the first sign of resistance? They fold, they cave. And if you're going to have that philosophy that so many in our legislature do that, uh, Oh, we might lose a little federal money. We can't fight back. Then you're going to live on your knees one day. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, I didn't come to Wyoming to live on my knees. I came here cause it's the last best place. It's funny that you say that. Um, I I think that's one of the greatest frustrations is trying to do what I think is the right thing. And the primary argument against it is so often, well, what if? What if? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Supremacy clause. There's there's so much misunderstanding about the supremacy clause and so much smoke. And... They use this fear to paralyze us. Mm-hmm. And part of the strength of that is that we actually have respect for the Constitution and what it means. Oh, you might be right. We, maybe we shouldn't do that. You know? And we cower and we run away. The left doesn't give a crap. They're going to do what they think is right, come hell or high water, doesn't matter the means, the ends completely justify the means. Yep. And so for 40 to 60 years, we've been cowering in a corner and getting pushed farther and farther and farther and farther back. And that's what has been happening in the grassroots is enough people are saying, we don't care anymore. We're going to defend the original Constitution tooth and nail. We've had enough. I think we have to. And we have a lot more uh, realistic and valid footing to stand on in the Constitution than they do, where they can pretty much 
the ends justify the means. They can do any, they can justify anything they want to do on the left. Yeah. With some crazy argument. Precedent. Because words don't mean anything. They redefine no. them constantly. Well, so there's no constant. Exactly. Words don't mean anything. And anytime I hear somebody like Nancy Pelosi say the word constitution, I, <laughs> I, 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 my eyes get wide and I'm, my what little hair I have stands up on my head because I know that she's getting ready to misrepresent what the Constitution says and does. So, yeah, the left is willing to do anything to justify their goals. And their goal is to essentially turn us into a socialist country where the government controls everything, including your daily life. And people need to wake up. They really need they to wake up. It, it, this is not new. Study history. It's happened time and time and time again throughout the course of history going back hundreds even thousands of years and the first thing a tyrannical government does and they did it before firearms were invented they you disarm those who would oppose you they did it when people had swords and bows and arrows mm-hmm. <laughs> empires disarmed the people they wanted to control disarm the populace now we have firearms they want to disarm the populace so People really need to study history because what we're seeing is repetitive of things that have happened to civilization after civilization. Similarly, we are also armed with free speech. We are. And so what do they want to do? They want to limit that. They They want to limit that that. with terms like hate speech. Yeah. And and if somebody's offended, you know, you can't say certain things. Yeah. And their definition of hate speech is so broad. I mean, no, nobody, you grew you had kids. I have kids. You teach your kids not to hate anybody. You, you, you know, we well, we, not everybody. Well, <laughs> you, you know what I mean in general. <laughs> yeah, but the left defines hate in such a broad way that you can't have an opinion. You can't have an opinion about yeah. mar- marriage. You can't have an opinion about sexuality. You can't have an opinion about anything if it's not their approved agenda, and that is so un-American. And 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 we had better wake up, or we're going to lose the, the very foundations of our country. I grew up with Johnny Carson. <laughs> I did too. I I grew up watching uh, the Dean Martin roasts, mm-hmm. and a lot of times in the evening after I'm done with what I'm doing, I just need something to kind of shut my brain down a little bit and unwind. And I go back and I watch the old Johnny Carson shows. Mm-hmm. No snowflakes. John Rickles could, could, could handle that, yeah. right? John Rickles was on last night. There is no way in hell that they would let that man on the air today because everything he said was racist. Everything he said offended somebody. And it was funny. And it was funny. And we all could listen and we all could take a joke and we all understood that's just how we blow off steam and that sort of thing. And you listen to the old Dean Martin uh, roasts and the type of humor that was there. Everything is being destroyed because we're not allowed to say or think and beyond that, even more importantly, we're not allowed to forgive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they they would say things that were offensive to me, but I can see okay, I can see the humor in it, and I can let that slide. Now we don't let me sleep. We've they're trying to teach us never to forgive, to bear a grudge. Well, especially if it's a Republican or a conservative that makes the misstep, mm-hmm. then you they must lose their position, yep. lose their office if they're in office lose their job if they have a job. Now, if a lefty does something, it's always 
glossed over, excused. What he was trying to accomplish is more important than what actually happened. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's, there is a double standard oh, in the media and pop, in pop culture. Uh, and it's, it's really pathetic. It's really un-American. And I frankly refuse to, to adhere yeah. to it. You know, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm going to say what I believe and, and no snowflakes need uh, apply because I'm not really worried about it. My son had to fill out a job application a while back. That's a long story, but uh, they asked on there what your preferred pronouns are, and he wrote, His Majesty would do fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, need, we need to push back a little bit. We do. It's, you know, it's gone beyond the point of being silly. to the. It's, it's just yes. pathetic and dangerous now. Well, we're running out of time, Mark. Uh, any last thoughts before we sign out of here? Well, you know, we really, I tell you what, I appreciate Wyoming folks and support, and there's been a lot of grassroots support here for, for legislative candidates like you. You know, I know that the conservative, numbers of conservatives in the legislature have grown dramatically in the last number of years, and that's because of the grassroots folks waking up and, you know, we're glad to be part of that. We, we got a big election coming up, and I want every, everybody to study what your legislature did in the last session. Study how they voted. Don't just yeah. trust them to tell you. Because they will not tell you straight. Especially, you know, in Wyoming, we have a problem. You can't In most districts, you can't get elected unless you're a Republican. So uh, in most places, 90% of the jurisdictions, everybody says they're conservative Republican. Actually, check out how they vote. We have a purple, I'm telling you, as a guy that works all 50 states uh, but lives in Wyoming, we have a purple legislature. It may be supermajority of Republicans, but it's as purple as Ohio or North Carolina. So study your legislator and get ready for the next election because it's going to be a doozy. It is, and I am locked and loaded. (laughs) We are, too. We're looking forward to it. (laughs) Take care, Mark. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Ken.